here want to say. Welcome to Woman Unplugged, a podcast of encouragement for today. Let's talk about the everyday matters of life, womanhood, motherhood, marriage, friendship, and more. We're all new to this thing called life. We've never done it before. Tune in to this podcast and be encouraged, inspired, restored, find new joy and purpose as you grow into the woman you are called to be. Let's go. Hey everyone, this is Rosalie Elliott with another episode of Woman Unplugged. Thanks so much for tuning back in. Today, I want to talk about perspective, progress, and perfection. Those words, perspective, progress, perfection, unity, variety, those are different words that have been on my mind lately. Our perspective is so limited. We have an Instagram screenshot of life and make permanent judgments based on that. We don't know the heart of the matter, yet we determine its intentions and desires. Our thoughts are futile, our hearts deceitful above all else. I've found myself lately getting pretty mad and frustrated at certain people in my life who have been making judgments about others whose hearts they didn't really know. While all along it felt like their arrogant and self-righteous comments spoke more about the poison in their heart than their own fruits. And it showed me, or it made me feel like they didn't really care for the other person's life, nor did they really know what was going on in that other person's life. A while back, our pastor in a sermon was sharing about the difference between conviction and judgment. And Pastor Michael said that conviction leads to loving others. It leads us to carrying each other's burdens, interceding for one another, our heart breaks for the other. But judgment, however, leads to separation and spiritual superiority. So I feel like when we know someone is hurting or doing something harmful, our hearts should break for them. And I'm not saying this because I have it all figured out or, you know, I'm this awesome, compassionate, kind person. No, I've judged and I've compared and I've done all that crap. But in all honesty, that makes a lot of sense to me. When we are convicted, when we feel like, someone needs correction, our motivation needs to be love. It needs to be a broken heart for that person, carrying their burden, walking life with them, building a relationship from which we can then speak into their life from a place of love. Judgment, however, is this idea that I am above you, I'm better than you, I'm distancing myself because somehow you're not good enough for me. And I'm not referring to relationships where there are toxic interactions where maybe distance and boundaries are called for. I'm just speaking generally of how we interact with one another sometimes and how we skip to presumptions without knowing the person's heart, without asking questions. And again, I've been guilty of this myself. It has been done to me. I have done it to others. And I think it's important for us to deal with this because we live in a time and age, and this has probably happened since the beginning of mankind anyways, without social media for that matter, but now with social media where people are bickering, fighting, throwing Bible verses around, arguing, and even a well-meant kind comment suddenly gets some remark that makes me think, 
you completely missed the point. People are missing the point, commenting, giving their opinions. We're just spewing out words, thoughts, ideas, and opinions. Totally missing the mark. And often it just escalates and leads to then the other party either getting defensive or attacking back and so on and so forth. Then it just turns into this really big mess of misunderstanding, pride, judgment, arrogance, and pain. All along while the underlying need is not being addressed. And the underlying fear is not being redeemed. So I believe motivation is key, right? There's a difference between conviction and a difference between judgment. What's the motivation? Scripture says we should not judge, right? There's a splinter in the other person's eye compared to that trunk, that bulk in our own eye. Does that, however, mean that we keep quiet? Does that mean that if I'm not to judge, I must keep my mouth shut? Do I have to be perfect to have the right to correct someone in love? Honestly, would it be love if I see someone headed for destruction and I say nothing? I believe scripture has all the answers. And while sometimes scripture seems contradicting, I really believe it isn't. I feel like it complements each other if we read it in context. For example, scripture teaches do not judge, right? But it also teaches correct one another in love. It says you can judge a tree by its fruit. It says keep the good, throw away the bad. How can I do that if I'm not making an assessment and a judgment about something? In the Old Testament, we hear the saying, an eye for an eye. Yet in the New Testament, Jesus is teaching us to turn the other cheek. Is that a contradiction? Well, in the Old Testament, mankind was under the law. And a fair law would be an eye for an eye. Consequences. Logical cause and effect. Right? For most of us, that would make sense. Now in the New Testament, we see Jesus who shows us what the Father is like. Not abolishing the law, but completing it. Let me explain that a little further. For example, in the Old Testament, I hit you, you hit me. I slap you, you slap me back. An eye for an eye. In the New Testament, we see a God who steps in front of you, takes the slapping on your behalf. He gets what was intended for you. So would it still be fair if you then slapped me back? You were not the one who got slapped right? I slap you, you slap me. Eye for an eye, Old Testament concept. New Testament, I'm trying to slap you. Jesus steps in front of you, takes the slap. And because of some unexplainable, crazy grace, he doesn't slap me back, which by the way, would send me into the universe and back around. But he doesn't. For some reason, he takes it, doesn't reciprocate, forgives me. That is mind-blowing. But because he took that slapping, would it now be fair, logical, reasonable for you to slap me back? You didn't get slapped. There should be no reciprocation for something that wasn't done to you. The one reciprocating should be Jesus. But because Jesus is Jesus, he's not. Do you see what I'm saying? Jesus came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And we find a lot of that in scripture where things could seem to be a contradiction, like the example I just gave. 
but actually they complement each other. They fulfill each other. In the Old Testament, in the book of Isaiah, we see prophecies about the Messiah. In the New Testament, Messiah shows up. It is written of him that he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. That is a prophecy in Isaiah, but referring to the Messiah, Jesus, who would come hundreds of years later. And we find that in scripture all the time, and in the Hebrew language, and in the poetry of the Psalms, we find those opposites that complement each other. Day and night, dark and light, land and sea. It is not a contradiction, it complements each other. There is a season for everything. And as Andy Stanley says, it is a managing of tensions. So often I notice people arguing and fighting about two extremes when actually it appears that they both might have a valid point and they're both right to a degree and wrong in other aspects. We must not judge one another, but we can judge a tree by its fruit. We should not condemn, but correct. I believe the heart behind the matter matters. When Jesus spoke to people, regardless if sinner or Pharisee, and ultimately all of them sinners, his intent was love. He didn't love one and hate the other. He hated certain actions and behaviors, but his goal for everyone was to bring them to repentance, both the sinner and those who considered themselves saints. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23 teaches us. And Jesus wants everyone to be saved, 1 Timothy 2 verse 4 teaches us. And as humans, we so often find ourselves in those extremes, dancing between the two, managing that tension, if you will. But one does not negate the other. Loving someone unconditionally and forgiving them seven times 70, as Jesus teaches, does not mean unconditional acceptance of bad behavior. God loved and showed mercy to his people over and over again, but he did also punish them. An entire generation of Israelites passed away before the people could enter the promised land. People tried throwing Jesus off a cliff, but he walked through the crowd and walked away and went to speak and preach in another town. We find that in Luke 4, 29. It was not his time. It was not his season to die yet. And he didn't let the people do with him whatever they pleased. His obedience was to the Father. There is a season for everything. So as I ponder perspective, I'm realizing what I know is a fraction of what there really is to know. And I need to assess what my motivation is behind the matter. Why do I do what I do? Why am I judging? Am I assessing? Am I correcting out of love because I care for this person and I see them headed in destruction? Am I speaking out of judgment out of spiritual faults, spiritual superiority. Our perspective is so limited. And that's what I like when we find in scripture where David says, Search me, O God. Search my thoughts. Know my anxious thoughts and see if there's any offensive way in me and guide me in the way everlasting. The only one who really knows the depths of our heart is God. Our hearts are deceitful above all else. That's written in the word as well. And the only one who knows it, who made it, is God. So my hope is that if I ask him to search me and guide me, he will do that. 
He will give wisdom when we ask, his word says. There is a season for everything. And the scary thing is, to be honest, I'm no better than those stubborn people of Israel wandering the desert. I am just as stubborn and rebellious, if not even worse. Flawed, just like Moses, just like Peter, who denied Jesus, and so on. So what's my hope? Jesus is forgiveness and the grace that he has shown. Outside of him and his redemptive sacrifice on the cross, I have no hope for access to eternity with the Holy God. And to be honest, it's humbling to be reminded that I can't do it on my own. I can't earn it. When I become aware of how much I need grace, I'm reminded that I must extend it to others too. As I get frustrated about those who are judging the heart of others, like I mentioned in the beginning, I must be careful not to become proud and stumble myself. 1 Timothy 2 verse 5 says, There is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. I'm so thankful that I'm not that mediator. I'm thankful I'm not God, but I'm thankful that there is a mediator because I need grace desperately. And in turn, I need to extend that grace to others. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 12 says, So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. You see what I'm saying here? I feel like that's a tricky subject. We see this balance, this tension. On one hand, I'm not supposed to judge. On the other, I'm supposed to judge the tree by its fruit. On one hand, I'm not supposed to condemn, but I am supposed to correct in love. I'm supposed to speak the truth in love. Sometimes it's better to keep quiet. There's winter, there's spring, there's all these seasons. There's such a limited perspective that we have. And I think this topic is so strong on my mind for personal reasons because of some of the conversations I've had lately and some of the things that I've seen happening and the things I've heard that were said around me. And it's tricky because, as I mentioned before, social media and the world we live in is so full of opinions. But people are not listening to each other. We're not stopping and going, tell me why you feel that way. Usually there's an unmet need. Usually, regardless of the personality type, whatever the person has been through, whatever the person has been taught, regardless of how they've been raised, there's an underlying fear, an underlying desire, an underlying need. And a lot of times, it's neither of the two that are being argued. It's somewhere in the middle. It's a tricky subject. As someone who has been raised to serve others, who has learned that selfishness is bad, and as an Enneagram type 2, I struggle with trying to earn love by how much I give, what I do, how much I'm needed, how much I'm helping others. And then, as someone who has been an enabler to addicts for a long time and susceptible to emotional and spiritual abuse, Personally, I struggle with healthy boundaries, trying to learn what unconditional love and healthy boundaries look like. I'm trying to learn if, and if yes, how, I can establish boundaries, but still love sacrificially like Jesus loves me. And do I even believe that Jesus loves me unconditionally like that? Many things in life come with the condition. And so, having been raised conservatively, I struggle with receiving grace and love for free. Surely there must be something I can contribute. And to be honest, it's still something I struggle with. Even self-love seemed like a selfish concept. 
but I'm learning that in order to love my neighbor as myself, I need to love myself. I'm learning that if scripture says that if we say we love God and hate our brothers, we are liars. Who is my brother or sister? In a way, I am that brother or sister. Meaning, how can I say I love God and hate myself? He made this. He made me. What does self-love look like? In a world full of comparison, that's hard. Like I mentioned before, in my previous podcast, we can find answers to all of our fears and desires in Jesus and in the Word of God. And when I look at the different Enneagram types, for example, and their core fears, I can find comfort in Scripture. So for someone like me, who does compare a lot and mistrust and fear, a fear of not being loved, I read in the Word that I am fearfully made, that I can trust God, that He has loved me with an everlasting love. But friends, if I'm honest with you and unplugged, while I do believe Scripture is truth, and even as it says of itself, it's God-breathed and useful for teaching, sometimes I have a really hard time accepting that it's true for me. Yeah, God loves the world, but does He really love me? Does He really love me with an everlasting love? And you know, that's where faith comes into play. We all look at the world through different lenses, either lenses of religion, of how we've been raised, what we've experienced, how we feel, and so on. Emotions, however, change. Perception is very limited. How we are raised is also limited and very subjective. If I choose to look at life through something that does stand the test of time, I have to look at God. And I learn about Him and His heart in the Word and through the person of Jesus. And that's where faith comes into play. I have to cling to what God says about me. Faith, according to Hebrews 11.1, is the confidence in what we hope for, the assurance of what we do not see. Everyone is going to believe something. Why not take a chance and believe what seems lovely and honorable and true? So, I choose to believe. I'm clinging to the truth that God loves me. I am lovable for who I am, not what I do. I'm forgiven for my past. I am a child of God. I have access to wisdom if I ask for it. I have a God who knows my heart and will lead me on the way everlasting. He can teach me when to speak in love, when to practice restraint and keep quiet, or simply love with my actions and not my words. Perspective. Progress. If now I'm learning that I am loved, I can love God back and others too. And the more I love others, the less I compare, the less I judge, and the more I speak correction, if needed, because of love and for the right reasons. Guys, I often find myself comparing. Often it is out of fear of not being enough and trying to earn love by being the best, standing out, thinking that I have to be perfect and the best, if you will, in order to have value so that I'm not abandoned. It negatively affects my relationships because it leads to a relationship that's based on fear. And that's not a healthy one. Perfect love 
casts out fear. The two don't go together. There cannot be a healthy and full relationship with fear, mistrust, and control. And those are things I struggle with a lot. So at times I self-sabotage, almost as if to say, I will hurt myself or the other person before they can hurt me. I'm going to run before someone can run away from me. There's this fear of being rejected and abandoned. Have you ever felt like that? Does it drive how you behave or engage in your relationships? A dear friend of mine pointed something out to me that she had learned, which is perfection does not exist. For perfectionists, as ourselves, the thought of not being quite perfect is horrible. We don't want to settle or feel like we're living plan B or C. So the idea that we have to accept the fact that, well, we'll never be perfect, that only backfires because I don't want to have to settle. Instead, we have to learn perfection does not exist. Not for us humans and not on this earth. Understanding that is so liberating because as a perfectionist, I cannot accept the idea that it exists and I can't obtain it. I have to realize it doesn't even exist. There is no such thing as perfection. There is no perfect body type. Yes, of course, there is healthy. Again, friends, balance, perspective. Thinking any body type is okay is false because some are actually not healthy. And I'm not referring to skinny versus obese. Even skinny people can be unhealthy. I'm just saying there is healthy, but there is no such thing as the perfect body type. There is no perfect look. It changes all the time. Yes, there are nice outfits and some that are more appealing than others, but even that's a matter of taste. What's the point in a cone-shaped coat made out of toilet paper if it won't keep you dry during a storm? There is no perfect mother, wife, or woman. Yes, of course we strive to do good and be our best, but the idea that once I'm able to always stay calm as a mother, then I've arrived is nonsense because chances are that won't ever happen. Does this mean we lose all self-control and do whatever we want? No, but isn't it tiring to constantly feel like we're not quite measuring up? My dear friend and I were joking when we were talking about this on the phone the other day. The idea that we have to be these perfect moms and wives who are always calm, only feed our children self-grown, self-made organic food with fresh eggs from the hens in our backyard, while we churn butter from our very own cows and sew our own clothes too, all made of self-grown organic cotton, of course, all combined with a good workout to stay sexy for our husband, paint our nails in between, keep the house clean, bring in money by going to work somehow. I mean, what in the world? Yeah, let's be honest. How many of us think that's perfection? And social media does not help. The perfect snapshot we see of people's lives make us think that's the standard. That is why that unfiltered raw content often gets a lot of attention too, because it's refreshing and relatable and we long to be understood. Tell me I'm okay. Tell me I'm doing good while I tell you the same. It's about balance and the heart behind the matter. Am I trying to stay in shape to be of value or to be healthy and feel good in my skin? Am I trying to be sexy for my husband because I love him or in order to be loved? The list goes on and on. 
Perfection does not exist. Beauty comes in all kinds of shapes, sizes, and colors. That does not mean everything is a go, nor that everything is beneficial for you. Like I said, it's good to be healthy. It's nice to take care of our bodies. It's good to practice self-control with our children. But this idea that once I do it all, have it all, I am perfect, is false. No, even when it comes to grace, we see it's a free gift. We're saved by grace through faith, a gift from God. And yet we see that faith without works is dead. No, we're not saved by our works, only by grace. But if we have been saved and we understand what an amazing gift it is, then good works will follow as a fruit, if you will. But how can I bring fruit if I'm not rooted deeply? If I don't get any water and sun, if I don't nurture what I have been given, how can I bring fruit if I don't grow? And growth hurts, ladies. Being refined in the fire hurts. Don't run from it. When you feel depressed, tired, or overwhelmed, remember it is a season, just like winter, spring, summer, and fall. And there is beauty in seasons, beauty in variety perspective. Our perspective is limited. Balance is key. Perfection does not exist. Variety. Variety is beautiful. There is beauty in different seasons. There is so much variety in nature and it's all connected. Part of the ecosystem, plants, animals, Mankind. The forest is majestic because of its variety. The different types of trees breathe out the air that we need. They give different shade, different fruit. They have a different purpose. And it's beautiful as a whole because of its unique individuality and the way it works together. Again, balance. Unique in their own way, working together as a whole. And you are the same. It's prideful to think we can do it all alone. In scripture, we find the image of a body. Jesus is the head and his church, his followers, are the body. And there too, again, we see these two aspects. On one hand, it is humbling to realize how vast and complex the body is. I am perhaps only a little cell or a drop of blood in this big organism, one of many, humbled to be part of it. Humbled to realize that I don't make the world go around. I'm not the head. And at the same time, it's empowering to think that every single cell is necessary. And as they work together, the body can survive and thrive. A system divided in and against itself will break down and be destroyed. So how much more is it important that we cheer each other on and love one another, especially as the body of Christ? The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. 1 Corinthians 12, 21 teaches us that. It is encouraging to know that you and I are important parts of the body. Humbling to remember we are part of a whole, but also empowering and encouraging to realize that we have a purpose in this body. When we realize We've all been given different types of gifts, talents, creative desires. We can learn to work together and bring fruit as a whole for the glory of God. 
instead of comparing and thinking I have to measure my fruit against yours. No, your fruit might altogether be a completely different type and taste, but essential for the nutrition, sustaining, and edification of the body. Dear woman, you are loved, not for what you do or give, not for what you accomplish, but for who you are. Dear sister, perfection does not exist. Focus on progress, not perfection. When you fall, dust yourself off and try again. Dear friend, let us remember balance. Love one another, correct one another. Set healthy boundaries and practice self-care, loving ourselves and each other. Maybe I'm preaching to myself here mostly, but I hope this can encourage you to reevaluate your motives. Why do you do what you do? Do you know you are loved or are you trying to earn it? Are you comparing yourself and driven by a desire to be perfect? Trying to achieve some ideal you've created in your mind? Perspective. It teaches us that our perspective is limited. We don't know man's heart, but God does. And thus, we must not judge, but love one another. Find balance as we manage those tensions. Perfection does not exist. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Unity. As we live as unique individuals, we must also understand we're part of this body that works together. Variety. There is beauty in variety. And the way you've been made with the gifts and talents you have, you bring so much to the table. Finally, progress. It is about progress, not perfection. Keep moving forward, sister. Let your light shine. Rest a while. My sweet friend, if you're weary and you're tired from trying to be perfect, trying to earn love, trying to avoid being abandoned, rest a while. Breathe. Love yourself. Let God love on you. Listen to him sing over you. Do not fear, Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Zephaniah 3, 16-18 Thank you so much, friends, for tuning in. I hope this podcast encouraged you and reminded you of the woman you are called to be. Feel free to leave a review, share it with your friends. This is Rosalie Elliott with Woman Unplugged. 